Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Hey Kerwin, where you have the questions and I give the answers. All right, what have we got, Matthias? We've got some Instagram questions here. So the- Ooh, Instagram. Instagram, you and me, we've got to become better friends. In fact, I want to get really intimate with Instagram this year. 2018 is going to be the year of Kerwin and Instagram falling in love and going on a honeymoon somewhere. Dunlap's a cherry. Dunlap's a cherry. Dunlap's a cherry. Says, hey, Ker- <laughs> hey Kerwin, I want to accomplish so many things that I don't know which to start with. How did you decide what you wanted to do as an entrepreneur? That's a really good question. You know, there's, there's, a whole ways that you, <clears throat> there's a whole range of ways you can answer that question. You can look at, number one, what you love, number two, what you're good at, and number three, what pays you the most amount of money. Um, you know, in my early career, I was very much focused on what gave me the most amount of money that I could do based on the talents that I had. And I was very money-orientated, but that kind of led me on um, in a kind of a bit of a pathway where I was trying to earn a lot of money and I was buying a lot of things and possessions and I was focusing on stuff. You know, I was very material, I was very egotistical, uh, but I, you know, after a number of years I was just left very empty uh, and it didn't matter how much money I made, I actually didn't feel any better. Um, and it was at that point I started to turn my attention to, okay, what is it that I love to do? And what's interesting is, you know, people you know, would say to me, you know, if you would go back and change, if you could go back, would you change it? And I'd say, well, no, because if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have been able to empathize with people who are perhaps in the same position as what uh, I am or I was or you are right now. Um, so, you know, I guess it comes down to a number of factors. It can come down to time, economic factors, and you know, also passion factors as well. But the one thing I would suggest anyone to do, regardless of where they are, is just do something that you love. You know, life is way too short to focus on doing things just for the sake of making money. But, you know, oftentimes, you know, I don't know how old Dunlap's a cherry is. I just had this vision of someone licking a cherry. Uh, but, you know, if you're young, you know, in your early 20s, early 30s, you still might be at that point in your life where you feel completely invincible and death hasn't even ever crossed your mind. You know, but when you get to a certain age and <laughs> you've had a few near-death experiences and, um, and, and things going on, you know, you really start to value time. You really start to value life. Uh, and when those uh, thoughts start to creep in, you really start to you know, realize the importance of doing the things that you really love, doing the things that fill you up, doing the things that enable you to really fulfill what it is that you're here to do while you, while you are here. So for me, find what you love. Just, just look at what you love. Look at what lights you up. What are the things that you, you know, think about, talk about, read about? What are the things that when you're doing them, you lose time and space because you're just so immersed and involved in it? Uh, and find a way to, you know, to, to, to craft a life around it. I actually made a post today and I, on Facebook, it was like, uh, find what you love and then my, make a life with it or make a life of it and commercialize it and have fun. Life's too short. Do what you love. Find more time on Instagram says, hey Kerwin, what are the most common objections you get about buying your product or service and how do you answer them? Well, first of all, if he's legit buy more time, I'll take 20 years, please. What was the question? What, what are the most common objections you get? Oh, I get the same objections that everybody else gets. I get the objections, I don't have the time, I don't have the money. Um, you know, my wife said no. Um, you know, we all, the, I, I pretty much can say that, well, my, the problems aren't really that big. Uh, I'm not really in that much of a hurry. You know, it could be any range of objections, but whatever, you know, I've been in sales now, shit, a long time. I first got into sales when I was uh, 12 or 13, selling horse shit door to door. Uh, then moved into retail sales and you know, other forms of sales, and then fitness equipment sales. And then you know I've gone through the gambit. Like what are we talking now? Uh, 30 years I've been in sales, you know, which is a very long time. So what I've observed is, and the point of this historical adventure is, 
the objections are pretty common. Like whether I was selling a treadmill or whether I was selling a consulting service or whether I'm selling a three-day program or you know, on my consulting time or a keynote, you know, the, the objections are often exactly the same. Is there a question behind that? So how do you answer them? Look, ultimately it comes down to finding, you know, here's the thing when it comes to objections. Objections for most people are just how they've been programmed to buy. Uh, most people have been exposed to so much dysfunctional sales processes, so, much, so many dysfunctional salespeople that they've often come up with a, with a defensive tactic uh, and a defensive strategy that becomes automatic and habitual. You know, they feel like they're being sold to and their immediate response is, I'm not interested, oh, I can't afford this, I don't have the time. And in most cases, it's not even true because <laughs> how many times, Fuck me, how many times, I, I can't tell you how many times that I've, I've sat down to sell to someone, I said, oh, I don't really have the money, and then I've explored it a little bit further and found out that they've got hundreds of thousands of dollars in equity, or they've got tens of thousands of dollars in cash, or they've got you know, $20,000 on a credit card. Everybody in most cases has the money, but it comes down to this you know, habitual response that most people have because they're afraid of being sold to. So for me, first and foremost, you know, the way that I overcome objections, first and foremost, is I build massive trust. You know, and I build massive trust by using massive, massive levels of empathy and exploration. Like my sales process is so different to everyone else's. And I've had so many people say to me, wow, you really don't talk very much when you sell. No, you know, you've seen it when I, when I sell on the, on the telephone. The most amount of talking I do when I sell is when I'm selling from stage. But when I'm on the telephone, you know, if I'm doing a, a 20 minute call or a 30 minute call, I am not kidding when I say I will maybe speak 15% at the most, 20, 25%. But if it's more than 20%, you know, it's, it's probably gonna to be too much. So I'm very conscious to ensure that I'm asking lots of good questions and I'm really diagnosing their life or their situation to build a case as to whether or not they should be or shouldn't be buying the, the, what it is that I have in the first place. Because this is what we need to understand about objections because not everyone should be sold to. You know, Sometimes you might sit down with someone and if your goal is just to make a sale, then you're fucking lost already. Your goal should be to find out whether or not you can help a person with what it is that you do with your product or service. And if that is your goal, if that is your intent, if that is you know, where you're coming from, people will feel that and that'll build much higher levels of trust. Won't remove the objections, but it'll just make the objections easier to deal with because they won't feel like you're just trying to make a sale, you're actually trying to help them and that's the goal that you want. So for me, you know, um, solutions have no value. They only derive their value from the problems that they solve. And if someone says to me, well, I don't have the money or it's too expensive or whatever, clearly I just haven't done the work and really identifying clearly what the problems are and what the costs of those problems are. And so when we look at identifying the costs of problems, we're looking at dollarizing the problem. We're looking at what is the financial cost? How much does this problem cost you every month? How many months have you had it? You know, let's accumulate, let's, let's, let's do some addition there. And what does it cost you for the time that you've had it? We also look at the cost, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, familiarly, like with the family, with their health. Because when you can start to tap into not only the financial cost, which is a great motivator for many people, but you can start to tap into the cost of, or the impact on their values. And by the impact on their values, I'm talking about how does the problem impact the things that are important to them? Because when you can start to identify how the problems are impacting the things that are important to them, you can start to build what I call tension. And tension is the chemistry of sales. And most people don't realize one of the most important things you need to do as a salesperson is create tension in the sales process. People need to be uncomfortable. But it's not like you're doing it from this manipulative or this, you know, um, what is it called when you want to hurt people when you get a kick out of it? Uh, it's not sadistic. Sadistic, fetish. You're not trying to do this as a sadistic fetish, but you're really trying to understand that in order to create transformation, like transformation happens as a result of tension reaching a point, you know, reaching a boiling point, and then poof, you know, something changes. There has to be change. And without tension, most people just won't move. And so for me, I explore the cost of the problems. I explore the impact on what's important to them because I want to build up this tension. I want to build up this tension between where they are and where they want to be, okay? Where they are right now and where they've gone. And because if you can build up enough tension, people who, are, who experience tension want to move, okay? Now, the move, ideally, that we're looking for here is the move 
to get them to become one of our clients. But only on the, the only condition, the number one condition has to be we only will bring on someone if we can genuinely help them with, you know, with our product or service. You know, because solutions have no value, they only derive their value from the problems that they solve. And if you're selling someone based on a problem that you can't solve or based on a problem that they don't have that you solve them to make them think they have, then you're just going to get slapped by karma. Karma's a bitch, man, and she's got knuckle dusters. I tell you, you add up that shit over time, she'll come in and crack you, you know, from, she'll, she'll king hit you, coward punch you, she'll slap you in the face and kick you in the balls. That's just how she works. Um, because, you know, it all balances out in the end. But if you can lead with heart, even if people don't buy, that energy's now in the universe, and that's going to come back. Karma, you know, because karma not only has knuckle dusters, but she's also got the warmest hug. You know, she's also, she's also got the deepest bank account. She's also got the longest memory. And if you put the right karma into the world, that's going to come back to you in spades. And, you know, the point is not everyone is there to be sold. Some people you can help just by having a conversation. That being said, you, you know, you don't make money just by having conversations. You don't pay your mortgage just by having conversations. So the number one goal has to be how do we market to an audience to generate leads and increase the probability of those leads being, you know, at the quality with the problems that we're looking for. Because if you market to everyone, you're going to get anyone. But if you market to particular segments based on, the, you know, the right type of communication, talking to the right types of problems, talking about the right types of solutions, you're going to get a very specific type of response from a very specific type of person. You know, marketing is like fishing. You know, if you know the fish that you're after, you just need to know, okay, where do they hang out? Okay, what time of day? What type of things do they like to eat? You know, how big is their mouth? What kind of hook do I need? Do I need a lure? Do I need bait? Okay, and you really, you can really reverse engineer how to catch a fish when you just know all about them. And marketing is no different. And your marketing and your sales go hand in hand. Because if you're just focusing on your sales and you're not getting in front of the right people, and you're like, oh, well, my sales, you know, or you're not making sales, you go, oh, well, my sales process is screwed. It's like, well, maybe it's actually your marketing. So it's not that my objections are any different to yours. The only different being is I have, my marketing is very effective at getting the right people in front of me and the right people in front of our organization. And our, and our sales process is very much fundamentally geared towards like analyzing what is their problem? Okay, how is it impacting them? What's the impact financially? What's the impact emotionally, mentally, physically, within their family and their health? Because that's the information that builds a case and creates a tension that produces motivation for people wanting to move. Go and create some tension and you'll become a gun. Again, get it? Clint Bauer. Clint Bauer. And he says, we hear it all the time. You guys are so passionate, that is a great idea, etc., etc. But we still lack people buying in. Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, just watch the last thing that I just said. <laughs> like literally, just listen to the, you know, rewind like four minutes or three minutes or whatever and just listen to what I said. Because, you know, passion doesn't pay the bills. Love doesn't pay the bills. Don't get me wrong. Passion creates tension. Like people will be moved emotionally by tension, okay, by the passion that you, you express. But if you're, not, if, you're just, if you're expressing passion in isolation without really identifying a problem, they'll be motivated but they won't be motivated to do something. They'll be motivated to think about doing something, but they may not need to do something because all they are is inspired. They're thinking about moving towards something, okay, which is attractive, but they're not thinking about getting away from something which is uncomfortable. And this is the thing which we'll add. Most people have become so good at pushing their problems down or convincing themselves that their problems aren't that bad. Our job as salespeople is to find out if those problems are there and then bring them back to the surface, wipe off all of the shit that they've used to cover it so that it numbs them, okay? Pull away all the lies that they've been telling themselves saying it's really not that important and going, look, are you happy with this? Are you okay with this? Because if you are, fine. But if you're not, something's gotta change. And that, to me, is one of the most important things because we need to understand people, when they have a problem, will often tell themselves lies and the lies are the painkillers that numb the pain of the problem. 
I've got a problem with my wife. Well, I've got a problem with my relationship. Well, you know what? It's a bit of a problem, but it's not that bad. It could be so much worse. I've got a friend whose wife is so much more angry at him than my wife is at me. So look, truth is, it's not that bad. That's a lie, right? Well, she just gets like that every now and then. That's a lie. There's a problem with the relationship. And if there's a problem with the relationship, you got to deal with it. It's a problem with the business, you got to deal with it. But what most people do psychologically is they want to avoid pain. Most people don't like pain. And so they'll lie to themselves or they look for external delusions, okay, or they'll manufacture internal delusions to suppress the pain of the lie, okay, or sorry, to suppress the pain of the problem to a point where they don't believe it's a problem anymore. And if there's no pain, there's no problem. And if there's no pain and no problem, there's no motivation. That's the key to sales. To highlight the highlight the pain, highlight the problem, bring it to the surface, you know. And that's the thing. You know, I was very uh, when I worked for um, Stephen Covey, who wrote the book The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I was renowned for being able to make directors and CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and publicly listed companies and very big companies cry. And the reason I was able to make them cry, and I never tried to make, I could make them laugh. You know, I've got this old saying I created: make them laugh, make them cry, they'll always buy. And that's just understanding the emotional fluctuation, the emotional journey, the roller coaster that's required to take someone through sales. And the reason I was able to make these grown men, you know, these hardened boardroom savvy men cry is because I was really good at not only identifying the problem within the business, but I was really, really, really good at the empathetic side of being able to navigate my way to find out how it was affecting them personally and drilling into their personal life and the impacts personally upon them. Because you know, people don't make decisions always just for commercial reasons, oftentimes and sometimes they do, but people oftentimes and most times will often make a decision based on emotional reasons. You know, people buy an emotion but they'll justify with logic. And if you are all emotionally based, you, know, you might be really full, full of passion and people will get excited, but then as soon as the excitement dies down, there's nothing left, there's no logic. You know, and if they, if they buy on that scenario, and they buy just on the passion, you go away, they've got your product, you walk out, the next day they wake up, that emotional high that you got them on, that's gone. They're now sober, and they've got no logic behind that decision. They're just looking at the box, or they're looking at what they've bought and going, what the fuck have I done? And that's called buyer's remorse. And buyer's remorse is nothing more than a lack of logic in the sales decision. And so our job as salespeople is to not only produce an emotional response, but also to make sure it's a logical. You know, are we solving a big enough issue? Are those issues, do those issues have a financial consequence? You know, does the upside have a financial impact? You know, and impacts that relate to things of a logical nature, not just a, oh, it's gonna be amazing if we fix this problem. You know, there's gotta be two sides of the equation. There's gotta be you know, the, the inspiration with emotion to go somewhere different, but there's gotta be the logical side of what is the problem we solve? What, are the pro what was the cost of those problems? What is the impact of those problems? And if we are able to solve them, what would be the impacts if we solve them. Get logical, get emotional, and you'll get more sales. Kevin Mahoney. Mahoney. Hey Kevin. in my job I always have something to do, but I constantly lose focus. Is there anything you can do to maintain focus and keep your energy up while working? Well, you've come to the right place, Mahoney. Uh, being ADHD, uh, I am constantly uh, sparring with distraction. I didn't want to say battling with distraction, I want to use a, a proper word. Um, yeah, I'm constantly sparring with distraction, but the way that, um, and I'm just going to assume there's a possibility if you're, you know, if you're having trouble, challenges focusing, there could be a small probability that you might have ADHD tendencies, and everyone has ADHD tendencies or ADD tendencies. Uh, you know, it's a spectrum, it's, it's a continuum, and not everyone, everyone's on different parts of it, right? So when it comes to focusing, I find the most important thing is uh, two things. Number one, planning. Okay, and, and what I, by planning I mean derivative planning. So, you know, for us we are very clear on our purpose, and planning starts with purpose. Okay, which is 
uh, always present, never changes. Then you've got down your mission, which is what is it you want to do in the next 10 years, which would be your big, hairy, audacious goal. And then from there, we start using priorities that we focus on on an annual basis, and we prioritize our priorities by using what's called tactical operating priorities that we focus on on a quarterly basis. And then those get broken down on a weekly basis into goals, and then those goals get broken down on a daily basis into tasks. Now you can already see where this is going, right? There's a laser focus, there's a reverse engineering process that gets us down to the point of execution. You know, it's one thing to be able to focus, but it's something completely different to be able to focus on the right thing. Because anyone can focus on anything, but it's being able to focus on the right thing, Mahoney, that's going to get you the difference, it's going to make the difference. And for me, you know, if you're having challenges with focus, you need to start scheduling your time. Meaning that when you, you know, if you do have three tasks that you're working on every day that relate to five goals that you're working on every week, that relate to three to five uh, priorities that you're working on every quarter, those tasks every day should be scheduled into, you know, uh, 30, 60, 90 minute spots within your diary. And that means, okay, for that 30, 60, 90 minutes, you focus wholly and solely on that. And you remove all the distractions. Turn notifications off on Facebook, unless they're mine. Turn notifications off on Instagram, unless they're mine. Uh, because I'm not a distraction, I'm, I'm a support. But no, even sometimes this could be a, a bit of a distraction for some of you using it as mental masturbation to feel good but not actually do anything with it. You know, start looking at the things that distract you. Turn off email notifications. Schedule times when you're going to check email. You know, check email twice a day. Check email once a day. Check email four times a day if you want. But don't just check email fucking willy-nilly because it becomes a crutch. You know, the moment you start doing something that produces a level of tension because you're starting to go somewhere you need to that is out of your comfort zone, you go... <gasps> I need some relief, oh, I'm going to go to Facebook and I'm going to get a dopamine hit, okay? Or an endorphin hit, whatever it is that you're looking for to, to make yourself feel better. And, uh, and then just do it. Protect the time, remove the distractions. And when you do get distracted, because it happens all the time, you need a distraction recovery technique. And the distraction recovery technique that I use, that I usually use, that I haven't used for a while now because I've been away, is I'll have my to-do list, I'll have my whole plan sitting on my desk open. So at any point I get distracted, someone comes in from meeting, phone rings, get a text, something important happens, fire blows up, bomb goes off, um, then I'm like, where am I? I don't go, oh, right, I'll just jump on Facebook. I go, no, where was I? I look at that screen that doesn't move and I go, right, what's on my plan? What's the task for today? Get back on it and just do it. And Matthias has even heard me say, sometimes I'll be getting distracted and I'll be like looking for a procrastination to get my attention somewhere else, and I'll literally just auditorily just say, do it! And, I'll, and I've scared the shit out of him. It's been a while since I've done that. But um, I have actually scared the shit out of Matthias by actually just screaming, do it. And I'm literally commanding myself just to focus and get on with it. So I understand distraction. The average entrepreneur on average uh, is distracted for between two to three hours every day. You times that over 12 months, that's 14 to 18 weeks a year that the average entrepreneur is, dis is distracted. Okay, that's a lot of time. So that's the motivation. That's the pain. If I could give you, you know, 14 to 18 weeks of your life back, what would that be worth to you? Focus. It's fucking worth it. Robin Pearson says, uh, Hello, Robin. Hey, hey, hey. hey, Corwin, what are the best practices in the morning to set up for a successful, productive day? I know that one. Ooh, let me think. No, I know that one really well. First of all, I usually wake up between 4.30 and 5.30 every morning like clockwork. When I wake up, my usual routine, now please understand, I'm human, I'm flawed, I'm, you know, I make mistakes like everybody else. Um, I've just come back from you know, uh, almost four weeks of holidays, so my routine is a little bit out of whack. So I actually feel a little bit incongruent talking about this right now because you know, I'd say probably nine to 10 months of the year, I'm very congruent with this. But there's at least, and I may, I'd say probably 10, 11 months of the year, I'm quite congruent with this, but there's a couple of months every year due to circumstance, situation, holidays where I'm not. But my normal routine is I'll wake up somewhere between 4.30 and 5.30, and that's without an alarm clock, hey hey. Um, so I wake up and one of the things that I know is when I wake up, I get up because if I wake up and I try and put myself back to sleep, that's where you give yourself a kick in the balls and when you wake up for the second time, you feel like crap. Now I won't go into the sleep science behind that, 
but the sleep science is, 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 is very profound. The moment you wake up, okay, in your, and you end that sleep cycle between you know, 4.30, 7 in the morning, you wake up, you get up. And when I get up, the first thing I do is I go into the bathroom, I splash some water on my face, and I go back to bed, and then I'll meditate. And I'll normally meditate anywhere between 20 minutes to an hour, sometimes more. Uh, I try not to do less than 20, 22 minutes. It's my time for me to reset the brain. Uh, I also sleep with my phone out of the room, so I'm not waking up and getting on the phone and immediately frying my frontal cortex, neocortex, by getting straight into technology. Uh, I meditate for 20 minutes to an hour. Okay, then I get up and I'll go and have a shower. And now I have my my shower routine, which is a little bit embarrassing, but I have a routine where I can wash my whole body in a very very quick period of time, thoroughly. But then I'll start stretching. So you know, I'll bend down, touch my toes, bend my legs, bend up, stretch back, lean back, bend down, lean back, bend. Like I'm literally going in the shower with the hot water on my back. Okay, and then I rotate my tip, my tips, my hips, and then I rotate my hips and I move my hips around and I just get the mobility going. I get the blood flow going. I get my my mind into my body, body into my mind. Then by about normally at this stage, by about 6:30, Noah's running in. Uh, and at this point, he will jump in, come in, and I'll come out. We'll jump, normally jump back into bed. We'll wrestle around for uh, you know 10 to 15 minutes. We'll get up. We'll then go into the um, into the living room. I'll make him breakfast. Now, here's a routine that you probably didn't see coming. I don't eat breakfast, uh, and some days I don't even eat lunch. Like I follow the intermittent fasting schedule, and I normally only eat once or twice a day. So I don't know. I don't have to preoccupy my time with what I'm going to eat this morning. I don't eat, and as a result, I have more energy. Uh, and that really is my morning routine. It sets me up for the whole day. Is that a pretty good picture of it? It's a very good picture. Yeah, there you go. Just don't picture me in the shower because it's kind of naughty. Why do you meditate so much? Meditation is the key. It really is. It's like one of those things. How do you explain the benefits of meditation if you don't meditate? It's like trying to explain the matrix to someone. The, just go and look at the science behind what the brain does, how it rebuilds, how the body rebuilds itself. Um, and the, 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 the impacts on the neurology, the impacts on the bio and the neurological chemistry, it's just profound. It makes you smarter. It, it wards off, it can help ward off, uh, it may ward off uh, things like Alzheimer's and, and, and help, help ward off or, or, or delay uh, Parkinson's. It, so it increases memory. It, uh, makes you, it just makes you better. Two greatest hacks on the planet for performance. Intermittent fasting, meditation. And if I put one in the middle, it'd be good nutrition and hydration. That's, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is episode 11 of the hashtag HeyKerwin show. If you've really enjoyed yourself, let me know below. The question of the day is, do you meditate? If so, what type of meditation do you do? How long do you do it for? And how many times a day? I'm really curious to know. And if you want to, but you don't, what's been the thing that's stopping you? Let me know below in the questions below. And if you want to get your question answered on hashtag HeyKerwin, please post on, we're across everything now. So Facebook, hashtag HeyKerwin, Instagram, hashtag HeyKerwin, Twitter, hashtag HeyKerwin with your question. And you might be one of the lucky few who gets your questions answered as well. Thank you guys. Until next time. Arrivederci. Is that goodbye? Is that hello?